0: You're very clever. Yes. Good job.
1: Hello and welcome to Judge Cast. This is episode 257. I'm one of your hosts, Brian Trilliman, and joining me this evening is Samantha Hart. That's me. And tonight. We teased last episode that we were going to complain about conferences.
0: We're not going to do that. It's okay. Don't worry.
1: Well, I mean, we thought about it, but then the, the, these pesky Modern Horizon 2 spoilers started coming out.
0: And they're amazing.
1: Uh, this is kind of like a, a future site, too, in terms of just a a cornucopia of keywords
0: it really is we we decided to take a look at the keywords and i couldn't believe how many there were that i just haven't seen haven't seen printed in the time that i've been a judge
1: yeah so in order to save time for the release notes episode where we do card by card we figured let's explore uh the mechanics that are returning in modern horizon as of the recording of this episode you know they're going to be coming out with stuff continuing to come out with stuff and we're going to try and take a set agnostic approach to the rules now obviously they might make some changes and some little tweaks to the various rules for modern horizon we're going to assume that that doesn't happen we're proceeding at risk and so yeah we're just going to we're going to tackle a cursory overview and when i say cursory it's because there's like 30 some odd mechanics right now so there's a
0: whole bunch, yeah. We want to make sure that, you know, even if things change change a little bit before the set comes out or shortly after the set comes out, we want to make sure that you've at least heard of some of these mechanics before, because some of these I know I hadn't or hadn't ever taken a close look at, so it's, don't, don't want anybody to be caught by surprise.
1: Yep. All right. So, without further ado, I've been listening to several podcasts, and I've noticed that there, there are a few, when I say podcasts and really YouTube videos, uh, they they transition with, with that being said, or or so, something along those lines, and it's made me super aware that, that we kind of do the same thing, or I kind of do the same thing. So I'm just going to blah, 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 and make that the transition.
0: Da-da-da-da-da-da. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yep. There you go. Podcast froze. So... Uh, Samma, do you want to kick us off with uh, with the keyword potpourri?
0: A little sprinkling of affinity, perhaps?
1: Sure. it's Everything's better with sprinkles.
0: <laughs> All right. So affinity was introduced in Meriden. It is written as affinity for text means this spell costs you one less to cast for each text you control. It could be artifacts. It could be islands. It could be tokens. Whatever the card specifies. Now, remember, that cost is locked in before you activate mana abilities to pay for spells. So, good news, treasures can be sacrificed to pay for things that have affinity for artifacts or affinity for tokens. Sweet. Yep. If a spell has multiple instances of affinity, each of them applies. So, if you have affinity for artifacts and affinity for tokens, extra good news, your treasures count double, friends.
1: <laughs> yeah, so when you when you're casting the spell and you determine what the total cost are determining the total cost of the spell happens before you are allowed to activate mana abilities mm-hmm. and so you count up all if you have affinity for tokens or affinity for artifacts or both since they stack um, you get to count them all up figure out what your cost is and then you activate mana abilities which is just sack them treasures.
0: Doing some arithmetic.
1: Right. Get that mana. Get that cheda.
0: Mm-hmm. So this next one you had to explain to me a little bit. It took threw me through a loop.
1: Oh, uh, uh, Aftermath? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so aftermath is a split card format that appeared in Amonket. And it's a little it's a little different than the split card format that we're we're used to seeing. Uh the the cards are oriented a little bit differently. And they're they're templated as in Modern Horizons 2, there's a card, Road to Ruin. Okay, so Road is the main half that you cast, and Ruin is the aftermath half of the split card. It's an ability found on some split cards, so, so what aftermath means is you can cast the aftermath half from the graveyard. Now, you still follow all the timing rules, so if it's an instant, you can cast it whenever you can cast an instant. If it's a sorcery, at sorcery speed. And not only can you cast it from the graveyard, you can't cast that half, the half with aftermath with the with af- I'm doing it again. you can't <laughs> cast the half with aftermath from from any zone other than the graveyard.
0: Unbelievable.
1: okay. And finally, if you do cast the aftermath half, I got it that time from the graveyard. <laughs> Exile it instead of putting it anywhere else Anytime it would leave the stack. So when it goes to resolve, the thing you do is you go to put it in the graveyard. Well, this is saying, no, no, no. Exile instead of putting it anywhere else. Funny, though, it's exile it instead of putting it anywhere else. If something happens that makes it leave the stack and go to exile, then that's the thing that's going to happen. So if I cast Ruin of the Road to Ruin Half and someone counters it with delay. Okay. And what delay says is let me get that handy dandy little text up is counter target spell if the spell is countered this way, exile it with three time counters instead of putting it in its owner's graveyard. Okay. And if it doesn't have suspend it gains suspend. So so the road to ruin is going to be exiled, it's going to gain suspend and it's going to get three time counters, and then after the third time counter comes off, you get to cast the card which you'll only be able to cast the road half of road to ruin and then it'll resolve and go into the graveyard which you'll be able to cast ruin again
0: this is one of those things that if somebody told like if somebody i didn't know told me this i'd be like they're testing me to see if i'm extremely gullible i would not have believed it
1: also one other one other fiddly bit about the rules the replacement effect on delay is modifying how that spell works it's a it's a self-replacement effect so it gets handled first so if you try and make this argument of well I've got the you know I've got the two I've got the two replacement effects I get to choose the the order no it's delay is gonna happen first the the exile from delay is going to happen first all, all right. right moving
0: on to a mass
1: yep still in the A's
0: still in the a's introduced in war of the spark which was still fairly recent um, if you don't control an army creature create a zero zero black zombie army creature token choose an army creature you control put in plus one plus one counters on that creature changelings of course are also armies the phrase the subtype you amassed refers to the creature you chose whether or not it received the counters one card, widespread brutality.
1: Yeah, that's the card that uses that phrase.
0: That's that's it.
1: Yeah, Just there's the only one card that uses that phrase. So a neat a neat thing uh, about amassing is it, it's well, it's kind of set up so that if you don't have any any armies, uh, let's see here, it's kind of weird in the in the phrasing that it's got. It says choose an army creature you control. So if you don't control an army, create a zero zero black army token creature creature token. Choose an army creature you control. Which I guess the way it's set up, it's only gonna give. You're either going to have just created the army, and that's your only one, or you've got lots of lots of armies because of uh, you got changeling or something like that.
0: Yeah, but it says to create it if you don't control an army creature. So when
1: would why yeah. not
0: just create a one-one army creature a one-one black zombie army
1: creature token? Well, what happens is so if you cast a spell with a mass, so it's mm. it's worded this way. So that if I have a zero zero black zombie army creature token with a plus one plus one counter on it, and then I cast something with a mass two mm-hmm. the two the the two plus one plus one counters are gonna go on my zombie so now I have a zero zero zombie army creature token with three plus one plus one counters. I don't get two creatures I don't have a one one and then a two two oh. i I have a three three. So what it's supposed to that's represent cool. is my army of zombies progressively getting bigger, and the, and they choose to represent that with a single creature that just gets more counters on it, as opposed to lots of little. Because I guess with all the cards that like give zombies plus one plus one, you know, g- yeah. giving giving multiple zombie bodies is probably kind of nuts.
0: Like that's fine, but I like to picture that these zombies are actually just stacking on top of each other's shoulders. So it's really just one tower of zombies.
1: And then you just put a giant trench coat on all of them?
0: Yes. So they can get into the movie theater before they're old enough.
1: I like I like the, the Russian nesting doll where like a zombie the just kind of dolls? Yeah, a zombie splits in half and a smaller zombie jumps out.
0: <laughs> they they kind of like cling together like the barrel full of monkeys.
1: <laughs> yeah, that works. <laughs> Alright. Uh so let's let's talk about Bushido Bushido's back it was originally introduced in Ice Age on a card called Chub Toad kind of which is the joke no actually as a keyword um, it came out in Champions of Kamigawa Bushido appeared on the Samurai cards to kind of represent the fact that they were really good with swords and so Bushido normally it comes with a number so there's Bushido 1 Bushido 2 Bushido X, or Bushido N, rather, means whenever this creature blocks or becomes blocked, it gets plus N plus N until end of turn. So if you've got Bushido 2, and you're a 1-1 frog creature, and you become block or block, you're going to get your plus 2. If a creature somehow has multiple instances of Bushido, they're each going to trigger separately. So if you have a creature with Bushido 2 and Bushido 1... It functions very, very similar to having Bushido 3. Technically, those are separate triggers if something cares about it, but I can't really think of a good example unless you're trying to make that happen, like make it matter.
0: Well, listeners, try to find us a good example, because I'm sure one of you knows one for sure.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. Now, now one thing I do want to highlight, uh, and this this is the content you came here for, uh, Bushido says whenever this creature blocks or becomes blocked. What I wanted to highlight is... Blocking or becoming blocking is something that happens during the declare blocker step, like when a creature is declared as a blocker and then that step happens. So if you have a spell or something like that that says, put a creature into play, blocking, you know, an attacking creature, yeah, you put it into play, blocking, but your creature, your attacking creature never became blocked. Or your 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 Jade your Jade Avenger, which is your Bushido Frog, if you somehow put it into play blocking, it didn't block. It's blocking, but it didn't block. Is that clear as mud?
0: Yeah, it's kind of Jedi mind trick. Like this is not the block you were looking for.
1: Right. It it's basically you are you you block or become blocked when something is declared as a blocker during the declare blockers turn based action, not. Fancy shenanigan spells that do, or uh, effects or abilities that do things after that happens.
0: It sounds generic, but it actually means a very specific thing, so. All right, next up we have Cascade. (laughs) Introduced with Alara Reborn, triggered ability that functions on the stack. When you cast this spell, exile cards from the top of your library until you exile a non-land card whose mana value is less than this spell's mana value. You may cast that card without paying its mana cost if the resulting spell's mana value is less than this spell's mana value. Then put all cards exiled this way that weren't cast on the bottom of your library in a random order. Oh, that's a lot. Of it's work. a lot. It's a lot. Don't don't panic. Um, I think we talked about this in a recent episode. Cascade is neat.
1: Yeah, we did. We talked about the the rules change for modal double face right. cards because it right, used right. to it used to not have that clause about. You may cast that card without paying its mana cost if the resulting spell's mana value is less than this spell's mana value. That part didn't exist.
0: Tybalt came and made him change it.
1: Tybalt came and ruined everyone's good time.
0: Did what Tybalt's do. Um, As they do. (laughs) Yeah, if a spell has multiple instances of Cascade, each triggers separately, that's cool. So how Cascade resolves. You cast the spell, the Cascade triggers go on the stack, they can be responded to just like any other trigger... Then the Cascade will resolve. The result is the Cascaded spell resolves before the spell with Cascade resolves.
1: Okay, cool. Order
0: of Things Matters.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, you don't have to cast the spell you Cascade into, and if you don't, it's put on the bottom of the library with all the other spells. So you aren't trapped into doing something you don't want to do there. Okay, cool, cool. Yeah. Um, There's one card that lets you take an action, in quotes, as you Cascade, Averna the Chaos Bloom says, as you cascade, you may put a land card from among the exiled cards onto the battlefield tapped. Yeah,
1: I wasn't aware this card existed until until going through this. But. Oh
0: is this one of those things like, is this one of those rule situations, kind of like Panglacial Worm, where the, the rules are just stop what you're doing, do that, and then proceed?
1: Yes, you are yeah. supposed to stop what you're doing because I'm about to ruin the rhythm. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, so... Putting that that land card from among the exile card, so that happens after you finish exiling, but before you decide to cast the spell. So you just cascade, 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 cascade. You find uh, your blightning because this is like 2014. <laughs> you find your you find your blightning with off of your bloodbraid elf, and then before you cast the blightning, you go and this land on the battlefield, and now blightning, and now bloodbraid. And now probably win.
0: And everyone just watches. Watches yeah. in awe as you do this.
1: Yep. Alright. Uh so we're gonna talk briefly about cycling, but not just any cycling. We're gonna talk about cross-country cycling. Is that the one? What?
0: I don't think that's the one.
1: You don't think that's the one?
0: I think it's I think it's type cycling, right? <laughs>
1: type cycling, yeah. So cycling itself first appeared in Urza's saga. And basically, I mean everyone's kind of familiar with, with cycling. Uh it means Yeah, you know, it's normally says cycling cost. Okay, it means you pay the cost, you discard the card, and you're gonna draw a card. Okay, so discarding the card is part of the cost. Now, here's here's one of the cool things before we get into type cycling. There go. are often a lot of cards that cycle oft uh have abilities that trigger when you cycle. Let's see here, one of the cards, let's uh let's go back for a goodie that shows my age, and Tusker. and Tusker is a a 6-5 creature beast with cycling. It also says when you cycle this card, you may search your library for a basic land card, reveal that card and put it into your hand, then shuffle your library. What's going to happen is is when I cycle my and Tusker, the triggered ability is going to go on the stack above the cycling ability. So I've already paid, I've discarded, I haven't drawn my card yet. Cross and Tusker's going to say, search my library for for a land. And I go get that land, and then I draw my card. But here's something else that I had never really thought about. The triggers on cards like that, they trigger from whatever zone the cycled card ends up in, which is most likely the graveyard. Can be exile, you know, if we do some shenanigans. But it triggers from the graveyard, which means a card like Yixalid Jailer can shut down the when you cycle triggers,
0: unbelievable,
1: right? That's so cool. On the on the card itself, like cards on the battlefield that say like when you cycle can do things, but cards that say like when you cycle this card, they trigger from the graveyard. And Yixla Jailer's like, no, 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 it doesn't have that ability. What are you talking? About? Nah, bruh. Nah. Okay, so all that talk about cycling, just to just to talk about type cycling. Okay, and type cycling is. When you get a new keyboard. You throw your I think your that's old correct. We away. can just
0: go ahead and move on. I think you got that yeah, right. Okay. Yes. All
1: right, you're gonna talk about Dash now? <laughs> um so it's a it, type cycling is a variant of cycling first found in I think Scourge? Scourge maybe?
0: Way before my time.
1: Yeah. So there's we we say type cycling, but really it's like plane cycling, islet cycling, basic land cycling, legendary land cycling, wizard cycling. You know all sorts of all sorts of cycling, and what that means is instead of drawing, so you'd have like wizard cycling too, and what that means is instead of drawing a card, you get to search your library for a wizard or, or changeling, sure, sure, uh, or tribal if that's your thing, if that's your jam. Um, you know you have a tribal wizard spell type cycling, so basic land cycling, plane cycling, wizard cycling is a cycling ability. So cards that, uh, and you, it, so it is a cycling ability, and the costs you pay are cycling costs. So things that increase or reduce cycling costs are going to increase or reduce your type cycling.
0: I don't know what it is about wizard cycling that just makes me laugh so hard. It just.
1: Are you imagining like someone on ropes, like, robes on like a bicycle, just trying to pedal in the pseudo thick dress?
0: I just imagine someone being like, well, I have to throw this wizard away. Let me go find one. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well, no more.
1: Basic land cycling, plane cycling, stuff like that, super good and limited. Super, super good.
0: So Next up, we have Dash, which was first printed in Fate Reforged, and that is around the time I started playing Magic somewhat seriously. That was right at the beginning of my Magic era. So dash, you get three abilities for the price of one. Um, Dash is dash cost, which means you may cast this card by paying cost rather than its mana cost. Then if this spell's dash cost was paid, return the permanent this spell becomes to its owner's hand at the beginning of the next end step. As long as this permanent's dash cost was paid, it has haste. That's exciting. If you blink the permanent, it both loses haste, and doesn't have to be returned. So, yep. Interesting there.
1: Yep. Another another neat thing you can do is when that delayed trigger is put on the stack, re- you know, return the permanent the spell became to its owner's hand uh, at the beginning of the next end step. That's that's a delayed trigger. So you could like use like Sundial of the Infinite to end the turn with that trigger on the stack, Oh. and then you just keep the thing. <laughs> So I Same. I might have been I might have been working on my Kiki Jiki EDH deck uh yes. within the last week and was like this is fun. Now, here's here's the thing you you glossed over it a little bit but it says like if the spell's dash cost was paid return the permanent this spell becomes. So it's actually like an ability on the spell but it's talking about the permanent this spell becomes. And the reason why it's saying that is because when um you change zones, it's a new object. So it's, that is
0: true. So that it's is carving interesting out,
1: Yeah, So it's kind of carving out the space where it's saying no, 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 this ability can see the card through the zone change in this particular instance.
0: That makes sense, otherwise this would not do yeah. anything fun. Alright. Um, we have Death Touch next but I think we both agree we probably don't need to do Death Touch. Yeah. We've probably heard that one a few times. All of us
1: yeah the, the only real neat thing about death touch that we're, that that hasn't been done to death is the death touch rules no matter function no matter what zone the object with death touch deal damage from so if somehow you're able to like have a card in your hand deal damage to a creature or have a card in exile deal damage to a creature and it's got death touch it's got death touch
0: <laughs>
1: yep all right echo. I wonder if in post-production I'm actually going to feel like jazzing that up.
0: He's going to sit around and practice that a few times to make sure it comes across just right. I
1: really don't think I am, but we'll we'll find find out. (laughs) So Echo first appeared in Urza's Saga, not the Artifact Land, or the Enchantment Land, rather. Um, Urza's Saga, the set. And Echo means at the beginning of your upkeep, If this permanent came under your control since the beginning of your last upkeep, sacrifice it unless you pay cost. And it's normally written as like Echo, sacrifice a land, Echo, three red bread, something like that. So what that basically allows you to do and what Echo was set up to do was you get a creature card, kind of cheap, but then on your next upkeep, you gotta pay the Echo cost. And a lot of times it was like pay the mana cost again, like cards that just said echo. Like they started getting fancy after a while and having like different echo costs than the mana than the mana cost. Super not popular. <laughs> okay. It just it was just kind of like eh. Now, you notice when I read it, I read the rule, it has a little bit of weird wording. It says at the beginning of your upkeep, if this permanent came under your control since the beginning of your last upkeep, sacrifice it unless you pay cost. That's kind of, that, that wording in there is basically saying, is, the, is set up so that you only have to pay it the first time, like on the next turn. But if crazy things start happening, like, so I've got my 2-2, I've already paid its echo cost, I've had it in on the battlefield for like three or four turns, and then someone steals it, and at the end of the turn they give it right back, well... That permanent came under my control since the beginning of my last upkeep, and I gotta pay its echo cost again, because I lost control of it briefly. Yikes. Conversely, also, if if someone, like, steals, perma-steals my creature, they're gonna have to pay the echo cost on their next upkeep. So, someone's paying.
0: Someone's paying up. I like that you yeah. made sure to note on in our notes that this mechanic was not super popular. Like, we're doing a listicle, like... Top ten favorite keyword abilities, number five, you won't believe. So what's next? Let's take a look at Eternalize. Eternalize was introduced in Hour of Devastation. It only functions in the graveyard. I think this was, a wasn't this when Nicol Bolas was bringing back all the, the zombies in the story? Um, it means yeah, I... Eternalize cost, or Eternalize cost means cost. Exile this card from your graveyard, colon. Create a token that's a copy of this card except it's black, it's 4-4, it has no mana cost, and it's a zombie in addition to its other types. Activate only as a sorcery. So if a creature with Eternalize is put in the graveyard during your main phase with no other abilities on the stack, you will get priority and can Eternalize it. Um, And to be clear, exiling the card is part of the cost, and that is important. If you would... So... Side note, if you eternalize a creature with a power and toughness that's a CDA, that CDA is not copied over. Important yeah. to remember.
1: Yeah, so the, the point about when you have priority, if you have, it's your main phase and you exile, you know, some something happens and the creature dies. Okay, uh, let's say murder or hero's demise or pick your favorite kill spell, you know, dies to Doomblade. Okay, so the card is in the graveyard. Doomblade is resolved, creatures in the graveyard. You may then say, I'm going to eternalize it, and the opponent can't say, Well, hold on, in response, I'm going to Nah, it's already exiling it's part of the cost. It's gone. When your opponent has a chance to respond, it is exiled and it's it's a gonna make a copy. Gonna happen. Yeah. Oh, And look at that, Evoke. Okay, so Evoke is like Echo only faster. Um, uh, Evoke first came out in Lorwyn block, Lorwyn specifically, and Evoke cost means you can cast this card by paying cost rather than paying its mana cost. And when this permanent enters the battlefield, if its Evoke cost was paid, its controller sacrifices it. And you look at that and you go like, well, that sounds absolutely awful. Why would I... Why would I pay for a creature? Right, why would I pay for a creature and then immediately just sacrifice it? Well, basically, thematically, the evoke costs are typically smaller, and these creatures have uh, an enters-the-battlefield trigger that's pretty cool. So they basically function like spells via an ETB trigger on a creature. Now, that trigger is a, when this permanent enters the battlefield, if its evoke cost was paid, its controller sacrifices it. So... If you blink the creature before the trigger resolves, when it enters the battlefield again, it's a new object. You don't have to sacrifice it. And then, Right. So then, if you really want to, because the trigger is when this permanent enters the battlefield, if its evoke cost was paid, its controller sacrifices it, well, you can, if you somehow really want to, and this is kind of one of these things, like, if you do it on purpose, you can... Normally there's a rule that says you can't you can't sacrifice uh, things you don't control. So if this trigger just said, when this permanent enters the battlefield, if its evoke cost was paid, sacrifice it, and my opponent somehow gains control of it, Uh-oh. then while this trigger is on the stack, then when it comes time for me to sacrifice it, I can't sacrifice it because I don't control it. But because this wording is its controller sacrifices it, if my opponent somehow yoinks it, or, or rather, it shuts down the possibility of my opponent yoinking it out from under me, and then keeping keeping the creature, nah, it's gonna get it's it's gonna get sacked when it goes to resolve. Whoever the controller is has to sacrifice it.
0: Let's take a look. Let's take a look at Evolve. This was introduced in Gate Crash, and Evolve means whenever a creature enters the battlefield under your control, if that creature's power is greater than this creature's power, and or that creature's toughness is greater than this creature's toughness. Put a plus one, plus one counter on this creature, which is an intervening if trigger, friends.
1: Oh, yeah. We got to cover one of those every single one of these types of episodes.
0: Seems like it, yeah.
1: Um, So what intervening if, uh, intervening if clauses or triggers with intervening if clauses, that means the condition has to be true both when the trigger is put on the stack and when the trigger goes to resolve.
0: Oh, that's right, that's right. I feel like whenever intervening if triggers come up, it's always something really interesting, but it's also something that the people that really want to explain magic to me very much get very excited to explain to me whether I ask them to or not. So I I hear that phrase (laughs) and my brain is like, do we need to shut down? Do we need to just turn it off? But no, it is really cool.
1: Well, like if I have a 2-2 creature with with Evolve and then I drop two... Three threes at the same time. What's going to happen is evolve is going to trigger twice, but then when it goes to resolve, only the first one's going to resolve.
0: That makes sense
1: because after the first one resolves, my two two is now a three three, and then because we also check on resolution, my my power and and or toughness of this creature and that creature are this. <laughs> Let's say this and that's and power and toughness and Ans and ores, cats and dogs living together.
0: <laughs> Let's see, last known information, if Creature is ETBing, leaves the battlefield, while Trigger is still on the stack. Mm-hmm. Good to know. Um, I love this note. A Creature can't have a greater power or toughness than a non-Creature permanent, so no arguing that your Creature has a greater power or toughness than a land. Yep. Don't even try it. Just <laughs> get out of here with that.
1: Well, no, I mean, like, obviously...
0: Yeah, 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 get out. Get out of here. Not happening. Not happening yeah. for you, bro. All right. And multiple instances of Evolve trigger separately.
1: All right. Um. And here we have the next ability is Exalted, which appears on Noble Hierarch. And maybe if Noble Hierarch, like, had a really bad day and got a little sassy, they might be an ignoble <laughs> Hierarch.
0: Oh, actually, that's big. indignant.
1: I'm thinking indignant. That's, although that's a better card, indignant hierarch. <laughs> mildly
0: mildly peeved.
1: Mildly perturbed hierarch. Okay, Exalted is an ability that first appeared in Shards of Alara. And what this means is, whenever this creature... Or, sorry, whenever a creature you control attacks alone, that creature gets plus one, plus one until end of turn. So, it doesn't have to be the creature with exalted that attacks by itself so you can you know red rover red Rover, and bear cub right over <laughs> and if you have a noble hierarch it's going to pump the bear cub now let's let's clarify the reason why we're spending time on this though is to define what attacks alone means uh attacks alone is only the the creature attacks alone if it's the only creature that was declared as an attacker in the con- in the declare attacker step. So if you remember when we were talking about with Bushido with like funny terms with blocks and blocking and if a creature's put into the put into the battlefield blocking and blah blah blah. What this means is you know basically declare attackers turn my uh, turn my bear cub sideways and declare it as attacker all by itself. Now, if I have another effect that puts creatures onto the battlefield tapped and attacking, Exalted's still gonna trigger. Okay. So if I have, you know, whenever this creature, you know, whenever this creature attacks put like a cat creature, what is it, Bramaz is uh the, the cat that puts other cats into play tapped and attacking. Meow. They Bramaz still attacked alone even though Bramaz brought cats with them uh, another thing is if you play exalted creatures in two-headed giant i know with pre-releases two-headed giant is sometimes a thing this doesn't mean i am the only pro you know this is my creature that's attacking all by itself my teammate is also attacking with things but but this is the only creature i'm attacking with so i get exalted no that's not the way that works it looks at the whole team. It looks at the the declare attacker step. If it's the only creature declared as an attacker against all the two headed giant heads, it's...
0: attacking all the heads alone.
1: Yeah, yeah. So no, it's it's got to go all by its lonesome. Red Rover, Red Rover, and Bear Cub right over.
0: So I think much much like Death Touch, we also agreed that we don't we don't need to do flashback. Nope. Flashback, I think, is is not an Evergreen ability, but it is one that I think we've seen recently and frequently enough yeah. that we can probably just...
1: I've heard uh, Rosewater call them de- like cycling and flashback and stuff as deciduous abilities instead <laughs> of evergreen. Just they like... come
0: around in their season. Yeah,
1: in their season. They they flourish they they in their season. Yeah. All right, so what's, what's up?
0: Next up is Hexproof from Monocolored. What? Yeah, buddy. M12 core set as a quote-unquote fixed shroud, because I know... I remember everyone saying that shroud was just a little too peculiar, or just worked in a way that made a lot of people mad. Um,
1: yeah, everyone thought everyone thought shroud worked like hexproof, so they kind of went like, "Well, let's just make it hexproof."
0: Uh, yeah, with shroud, like you get got also, right? So I think, right, yeah,
1: right. Shroud is well. Let's let's explain what hexproof is before we explain yes. what it is. We'll get
0: there. We'll get there eventually. So hexproof, which is the fixed one. Hexproof on a permanent means this permanent can't be the target of spells or abilities your opponents control, which is key. That is important. Hexproof from quality is a variant of the hexproof ability. Hexproof from quality on a permanent means this permanent can't be the target of that specified quality spells your opponent's control or abilities your opponent's control from that quality's sources. So a hexproof from any specific thing, ability, is a hexproof ability.
1: Yep. Uh, this, this is relevant because there's a... This, this question has come up. There's certain cards, and I'm, I'm blanking on the name, but it's, it's they do things like, you know, this creature gains first strike if a card in your graveyard has first strike. The same is true for flying, trample, protection, hexproof. Okay, so... If you have a creature card in your graveyard that has hex proof from monocolored, and you have this, this card that I said, like, you know, at the beginning, of, you know, at the beginning of combat, if you have a creature card in your graveyard that has first strike, this gains first strike, same as true for, and then it lists a bunch of things and hex proof is on that list. Yeah, the card didn't list hex proof from monocolored but it's, it's there. It and if you look at it proof. Yeah, it's the same thing with protection. Like if it, it'll just list protection, you know, same is true for flying, first strike, trample, protection. You know, the card in your graveyard doesn't just have protection. It's got protection from red, or protection from instance, or protection from everything, or protection from player. some something like that. So it's it's the same. Like
0: Remember to use protection. Yeah. <laughs> edit that
1: Please. out. Please. <laughs> what? It
0: said edit that out.
1: You want me to edit that out? <laughs> no, I'm messing. Anyway. Okay, I mean I'll I will, but I'll leave the edit this out as I'll make that the bumper.
0: <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> That's fine.
1: What? Well tell I'll, I'll write down the time and then you tell me afterwards what you no, want me to fine. do. No, you're fine. I'm just it. being
0: dumb. You're fine. You, what? If, use, if, if, I'll 50, I'll let you know if I ever need you to really edit something out I make it a joke. I'll be
1: serious. Use protection Samma says use protection. Got it. <laughs> Alright. Yeah, that means that means she's talking about a mask. Wear mask, people. There's a pandemic going on. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, kicker. Uh, pay more, get more. Next. Uh, I'm okay, gonna talk about living weapon because kicker's boring. Really on oh, we go. Yeah. It's. I mean, we can be like, ah, well, you know, it's a multi kicker is a variant of kicker and kicked means kicked and wow, there's a lot of rules for kicker and I ain't covering any of them because now listen, it
0: does what it says it does anyway. Yeah. Next. Okay.
1: So living weapon. So living weapon appears on equipment, and means when this equipment enters the battlefield, create a zero zero black germ creature token, then attach this equipment to it. So for this, we're just bringing up a little bit of timing. Um, state based actions normally, if when state based actions are checked, a zero zero creature is going to be put into the graveyard. It's got a zero toughness. Bye, goes to the graveyard. But we're creating the zero zero uh, black germ creature token. Then we're attaching this equipment to it. Then we're checking state-based actions.
0: It dodges a bullet, but it does.
1: It it does dodge a bullet. Now, if we have one of those effects that say like, hey, instead of creating one token, create two. Yeah, I don't think you can have the equipment attached to two creatures simultaneously. So one of those little germ tokens is going to die.
0: All right, next up we have Madness um, was printed first in Torment. That's a set I don't think about that often. So two abilities here, a static and then a triggered ability. Madness cost means if a player would discard this card, that player discards it, but exiles it instead of putting it into their graveyard. Straightforward enough. And then when this card is exiled this way, its its owner may cast it by paying cost rather than paying its mana cost. If that player doesn't, they put this card into their graveyard. So you have a chance. Then casting a spell via its madness cost is paying an alternate cost. If you don't cast the exiled card and it's moved to a public zone, then effects that reference the discarded card can find it. Which is peculiar, because this is an exception to the new object rule. You would think it would be something else, but all right. Mm Mm-hmm. If an effect has multiple players discard a card, and those players to decide to discard cards with madness, the active player puts their madness trigger on the stack first, then the other players. The last one to be put on the stack will resolve first. So yep. it lets you ignore timing restrictions on casting the card, mm-hmm. and let's let's talk about Jace Vryn's prodigy with madness.
1: Let's let's do. Let's do. <laughs> let's do. So what's up with with uh, the Prodigy of Wren?
0: I keep forgetting what this card does. I, okay, my my Google is actually trying to direct me to this card because I keep having to look it up. <laughs> nice. Draw a card and discard a card. If there are five or more cards in your graveyard, exile Jace Wren's Prodigy. Mm-hmm. Return to the Battlefield Transformed. If there are five or more cards. So with Madness... They exile instead of putting it into their graveyard, so uh-huh. ooh, it's not gonna count. Yeah. Right? It's not gonna right. work the way you want it to. It's not gonna help not gonna help old J C J. right.
1: So when you tap when you tap draw a card, then discard a card, well, because it's got madness, it's instead going to exile. And then the trigger's going to go on the stack that lets you decide whether or not to cast it, but that trigger isn't gonna really go on the stack until Vrin's Pro- Jace Vryn's Prodigy ability finishes resolving. So when it gets to the if there are five or more cards in your graveyard, so if you've got four cards in your graveyard and you discard a card with Madness, is going to get exiled.
0: Yeah, no luck.
1: Yeah. Now here's here's a fun thing. There was a rules change with Madness a while back that what that that kind of changed the way this could work. I don't I don't remember whether the the rules changes before or after Jace Vryn's Prodigy, but What happened was, is when you discarded the card with Madness, you got to choose whether you continued to discard it or whether you exiled it. So it was a choice that you got to make. So you could kind of pass through and go straight to the discard. The reason why they changed it to auto exile Mm
0: -hmm. all
1: the time was for MTGO. They just wanted to remove a decision point.
0: Oh, well, that's kind of interesting.
1: Yeah, so they changed the they changed the way Madness works. They made it a little bit more complicated, or I guess to how, how, depending on how you look at it. So it always exiles, and then you always decide whether or not you you want to cast it or not because it was kind of weird to say like I'm going to discard this card with Madness, and the game would say, "Okay, do you want to exile it?" And you go, "Yes, I'm going to exile." It. And then it would say, "Do you want to cast it?" And the answer is, "Well, well, yeah. That's yeah. why I ex. That's why I exiled it." Now the game just auto exiles it and then says, Do you want to cast it? And if you go no, it just finishes the discard.
0: Just moves it along.
1: Yeah, which is why which is why when you when you talked about the exception to the new object rule, that's kind of trying to keep it functionally the same, because you used to just be able to straight discard.
0: Okay. Alright.
1: So so that kind of carving out of the exception to the new object rule is is left there to kind of preserve functionality of the way Madness worked in the ye olden times. <laughs> a fossil. Yeah. All right. Speaking of fossils, let's talk about modular, which first appeared in Darksteel. So modular typically comes, we're not going to talk about modular sunburst. Just deal with that. Normally it's modular N, which means this permanent enters the battlefield with N plus one plus one counters on it. And when this permanent is put into a graveyard from the battlefield, you may put a plus one, plus one counter on target artifact creature for each plus one, plus one counter on this permanent. So basically it was, it was, it was not quite like moving the counters. Like if you've got a, a modular creature with the plus one, plus one counter on it and it goes to the graveyard, you know, you're just going to take that counter and you're going to put it on, you get to target another artifact creature and move it on there. That's kind of functionally how it works. Uh, multiple instances of modular work separately Multiple instances do work separately. So if I have somehow modular, if I have like modular one and modular two on a creature, I don't know how you'd do that, but if you did somehow, and then it went into the graveyard, you'd be able to put the three counters, because it had modular one and modular two, you'd be able to put the counters on two artifact creatures. Ooh. That's pretty neat. Yeah. Now, uh, we're also going to talk about what happens if a modular creature dies with a minus one, minus one counter on it. So let's take my Arcabound Worker, okay, which is from Darksteel. It's a little one, one, uh, or it's a zero, zero. The modular one's got its plus one, plus one counter on. And then I do something. I hit it with a, a creature with Wither or something like that that gives it a minus one, minus one counter. So now I've got, it's got a plus one, plus one counter on it. It just got a minus one, minus one counter on it. It's going to die. Do I get to essentially move that plus one, plus one counter onto another target artifact creature? The is yeah.
0: I got this wrong when I tried to guess. I couldn't believe it. That's so That that is a very cool thing. That's this yeah. the good stuff of magic. That's why I love looking into magic rules, because how cool is that?
1: So what happens is, is plus one, plus one counters and minus one, minus one counters explode like matter and antimatter as a state-based action. But creatures with zero toughness also get put into the graveyard as state-based actions. And state-based actions happen at the same time. So I go from having a zero, zero creature or a zero-toughness creature with both a plus-one, plus-one counter and a minus-one, minus-one counter on it on the battlefield to dead creature in the graveyard. So when the game looks back and says, hey, did this thing have any plus-one, plus-one counters on it before it was in the graveyard? The answer is, uh yuh-huh.
0: It did indeed.
1: It did. It also had a minus-one, minus-one counter on it, but that's not relevant for this. Didn't ask about that. Yup. So there we go. That's modular in a nutshell. And I feel like I've made that same reference like six or seven years ago in a nutshell boop, boop.
0: bringing back some classics
1: yes speaking of bringing back some classics
0: take a look at overload which was originally printed and returned to ravnica which is two static abilities overload cost means you may choose to pay cost rather than pay this spell's mana cost If you choose to pay this spell's overload cost, change its text by replacing all instances of the word target with the word each. So overload is a text-changing effect, so...
1: We don't see those too often.
0: I know, right? So it goes copy, control, text. And Mm -hmm. in the steps of casting a spell, you announce the intent to overload before determining targets so the text is already changed when you get to the next step. Copies of over- copies of overloaded spells are also overloaded, but wait, you say, copy yeah. is layer one, where right. text-changing effects are layer three. Right. How so my that copy. How is possible?
1: Yeah. So my copy of an overloaded spell uh, shouldn't shouldn't be overloaded because it doesn't have the text-changing. Effect. It didn't copy the text-changing effect.
0: Ah. Oh, well, I have a twist ending for you. When copying a spell, you copy the decision to overload it. You get to do that because the rules say you can. <laughs> Apparently that's one of the things that you're well, just allowed to do.
1: Yeah, it tur- turns out most, most things you can do because the rules say you can. That's
0: it, you know? Right? That's how games yeah. work.
1: <laughs> yeah. So So the copy, while you are copying the card as it's printed, because you copied the decision to overload it, the copy also has a text-changing ability that will change the text to say, you know, all. Or each, rather. All right. Uh, here here we go. Um, speaking of uh, uh, protection, um, is protection. <laughs> Protection's an ability that first appeared in Alpha. The OG. Yes. Uh, protection isn't super common anymore in standard uh, as much as it used to be because it's actually probably one of the more complicated abilities. It's It's kind of four abilities rolled into one and it's got some weird some weird stuff. So <laughs> you can have protection from quality, okay, which is like protection from red. You can have protection from players, you can have protection from everything. Like that's an actual literal ability. So protection means four things. And they can be remembered with the acronym debt. D E B T. Get out of here of your fortification. Whatever card that was that does fortifici- fortifications, get out of here with that. So, D E We'll start with D. Damage. Any damage that would be dealt by sources with the quality are prevented. This is a prevention effect, so all those red things that say, like, this damage can't be prevented can actually kind of get around this. But, so if something has protection from red, and it blocks a red creature, that red creature can't deal damage to it. Or if an earthquake goes off you know that deals X damage to uh, all non-flying creatures, you just shrug it off. So that's the D. The next is E for equipped or enchanted. You can't be equipped or enchanted by objects with the stated quality. So if I have protection from artifacts, I can't be equipped. If I have protection from green, I can't be enchanted with a green aura if the object later gains protection from a characteristic that would cause the aura equipment to fall off it does uh, it's a little bit a little bit different like if i have an equipped creature uh, that gains protection from an artifact protection from artifacts the equipment's just going to fall off if i have a creature with a green aura on it and then it gains protection from green that aura is going to go into the graveyard day based actions
0: your armor just flies off and you're standing there naked on the battlefield
1: yeah absolutely which is why you need a different type of protection, right? Uh, the next DEB for blocking creatures with protection can't be blocked by creatures that have the protected quality. okay? So if you have protection from red, you can't be blocked by red creatures. It doesn't matter if it's gold and it's got a little bit or a little hint of red in it. okay. And then T deBT can't be targeted by spells with the stated ability or abilities from a source with the stated quality. So, you've got your vanilla your your bear cub, I go to lightning bolt it, you then I can target at that point, you sama then give it protection from red. It is now an illegal target. My lightning bolt you know can't resolve. But if it had protection from the red from red to begin with, I couldn't even lightning bolt it.
0: Couldn't even attempt.
1: Yep. Now, huh, some auras might give protection from a a from the color of the aura. So there's like this card, White Ward, you know, target creature. You know, it's an aura that goes on a creature and says it gains protection from white. Well, White Ward is is a white card in of itself, so it would give itself protection and then cause itself to fall off and go to the graveyard. That so would be kinda super dumb. useful. That's kind of dumb. So. Those cards typically say something like "This effect doesn't remove either that aura or or all auras now, one interesting thing when you start dealing into getting into the the nitty gritty of protection uh you start realizing there's a little bit of a difference in the terminology that protection uses, like it might say protection from creatures, okay now I'll use this example a, a card might say. Exile all creatures, or exile all artifacts. That's typically only referring to things on the battlefield, okay? It doesn't go into your hand and make you reveal them and exile all creatures or artifacts, or go into your library and get all all of those, okay? If the game wants to refer to something in one of those zones, it'll typically say, like, a creature card, or if it's on the stack, a creature spell. Something along those lines. Protection just can just get away with saying protection from creatures and when it says protection from creatures it's not just talking about creatures on the battlefield but it's talking about sources with that quality so if you have a creature that can do something from the hand or from the graveyard is it, is it one like one of the inferno, what's what's that uh that dinosaur, that uh, crazy black dinosaur that like you re- that's based on the infernal spawn of evil. Do you know what I'm talking about? No. <laughs> oh, it's that? like you its like you reveal a dinosaur. Okay, so I won't use that example because I can't remember the name of it. So I'm just going to fall back on the card from 15 years ago and call it Jem Palm Incinerator. It's a card. It's a goblin that when you cycle it, it's got a trigger that says when you cycle it, Gem Palm Incinerator gets to deal damage to a creature equal to the number of goblins you play. Well, yes. I, psych- I didn't cast a spell. Uh, it was never on the battlefield. It was just in my hand, and now it's in the graveyard. But it's still a creature. So a card with protection from creatures would be immune to Jim Palm incinerator.
0: Unfortunate, but true.
1: Yeah. Hello, so goblin. why don't you cover the next one while I look up that dinosaur card?
0: You go look up that dinosaur card, and I will talk about prowess. So Prowess is a favorite of mine. It was introduced in Cons of Tarkir, again, kind of when I started playing Magic. Prowess means whenever you cast a non-creature spell, this creature gets plus one, plus one until end of turn, and multiple instances of its stack. Um, I, pr- My personal favorite with this was Mon- Monastery Swift Spear, I believe. Get those lightning bolts out, get all those things going on, and just make it tougher. Make it stronger. That's pretty cool.
1: All right. Reinforce. Reinforce is an ability that that came out of Lorwyn. It's pretty boring. Reinforce N and then comes with a cost. Means pay the cost, discard the card, so this is activated from your hand. Put N plus one plus one counters on target creature. That's it. So you pitch it out of your hand, you basically pay pay the mana, pitch it out of your hand, put in plus one plus one counters on on your your buddy.
0: Fairly straightforward.
1: This also, if reinforces on a creature and you had a protection from creatures, a card with protection from creatures, you could not put the counters on it.
0: Oh, that's a bummer. Yeah. Protection from good things, oh no. Yup. Alright, so renown. Introduced in Magic Origins. Renown N means when this creature deals combat damage to a player, if it isn't renowned, put N plus one plus one counters on it. And it becomes Renown. So Renown is just a marker. It means it has no rules meaning other than being able to be referred to. It's, it is not copyable. It's just to see if it has already been done or not. Okay. Yeah.
1: Just a little... Just a little same with, uh, I think, Monstrous is another, another right, example. Right, right, right. All right. Uh, next up is Replicate from first introduced in Guild Pact. Replicate represents two abilities... It's, and it's addressed, It's expressed as replicate cost. So again, some sort of cost. That means as an additional cost to cast this spell, you may pay cost any number of times. So if you want to do it one time, five times, whatever, go for it. Then when, when you cast this spell, if the rep, if a replicate cost was paid for it, copy it for each time its replicate cost was paid. If the spell has targets, you may choose new targets for any of the copies. Okay, so there is ah Shattering Spree. That's the one. It's got replicative for red. It says destroy target artifacts. So if you you know pay the cost for Shattering Spree and then spend five five red mana, you're going to be destroying an artifact and then copying replicate five more times, killing five more artifacts and the way this works is you announce the attempt to replicate when choosing modes so this is moving onto the stack before you declare targets or anything like that say i'm going to replicate this 5 times then you, when it comes time to pay the additional costs you're going to pay the additional costs during the steps you know when you when it comes time to pay for the spell itself it's a trigger so it's going to go on the stack players are going to be able to respond to it when it resolves it's going to barf out 5 copies of shattering spree and then each one is going to resolve individually, and then your original Shattering Spree is going to resolve. So it's really, really cool for Magecraft with Strixhaven.
0: <laughs> so Sagas. We we do see a Saga coming back in this upcoming set. Urza's Saga. Urza's very own Saga. Um, and we mm-hmm. say here that this one is special enough to be in the FAQ.
1: Yeah, it's got a lot going on. Sagas kind are of neat, tith- but
0: yeah. Do we need no. to give sagas their own episode?
1: Uh, we did. did you? Uh, back when they were initially, so with Dominaria when they hit. All right. We spent a lot of time. That's one of the other things. Like, going over a saga in and of itself is probably like a five-minute task. Five to ten minutes. So, we'll just save that for the FAQ. Teaser, we'll use that as, like, stay tuned in two weeks when we talk about a card that everyone else has been talking about for a month. <laughs>
0: We'll catch up to you, friends. We'll catch up eventually. We'll get there. Yeah. Um, Since we're not talking about sagas, I'll go ahead and talk about Split Second then. So Split Second was introduced in Time Spiral. And Split Second means as long as this spell is on the stack, players can't cast other spells or activate abilities that aren't mana abilities. So puts a stop to that. Mm -hmm. Players can still activate mana abilities and take special actions like morph, while cards with Split Second are on... The stack, um, mm-hmm. triggered abilities still trigger as normal. Yep. So it just comes in and puts the kibosh on whatever nonsense you're yeah. trying to stack up there.
1: So one of the cool things about this mechanic was because time time spiral was the nostalgia set, right? Right. Um, you probably don't remember interrupts, do you?
0: That was like an instant, but not. It was like pre instant.
1: Yeah. So and and I'm. I instance haven't thought before. about this instance in a long cool. time. Um so there were instants and there were interrupts. So and, I, and I'm sure someone's going to correct me uh, cuz I'm not exactly going to remember this. Yeah, this
0: was way but, before my time.
1: But you could cast instance and they could respond to each other sort of kinda. But then you could play an interrupt and once you played the interrupt you had to resolve all the inter- like interrupts could interrupt <laughs> interrupts could interrupt interrupts. <laughs> And interrupts could ins- can interrupt instances, but instances couldn't interrupt interrupts.
0: Kind of makes sense. So, okay. so
1: basically, once you played an interrupt, you kind of had to resolve those interrupts before you could go back to messing with the instance. So split second, in a sense, is kind of recapturing that old interrupt flavor.
0: Those were the no really instance.
1: Yes. <laughs> but yes, interrupts could interrupt interrupts. Yeah. counterspell, for example, I think used to be used to be an interrupt.
0: Yeah, I don't think I had remembered. I don't think I had remembered that instance and interrupts had existed at the same time. I think I assumed that instant was an updated version of interrupt. But but that's really neat. So I learned something new today.
1: Storm 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 first appeared in Scourge, which was the dragon set without a whole lot of dragons in it. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the little the little icon for the for the set, it's a dragon face. There's all sorts of cards. There's more cards that refer to dragons than there are dragons. Oh, that's
0: kind of funny. Yeah, there's yeah all I wouldn't like- have guessed that given the the set symbol.
1: Yeah. Uh. uh so what Scourge, uh, what Scourge means, what Storm means is when you cast this spell, copy it for each other spell that was cast before it this turn. If that spell has any targets, you may choose new targets for any of the copies. Alright, this is a triggered ability, so you're going to cast it, then the Storm trigger is going to go on the stack, so if you you know, counter that triggered ability. You don't get any of the storm copies. Um, but countering the original storm ca- spell is not going to remove that trigger and prevent the copies from being made. Another thing is, I, I put emphasis on it. It's like when you cast the spell, copy it for each other spell that was cast before it this turn. So if I've cast four spells, and then I cast my spell with storm. I'm going to copy it four times for the four spells I cast previously. If I cast my four spells, cast my storm spell with the trigger on the stack, do more stuff like get into a counter war or something like that. None of those spells I cast after my storm spell count for the storm copies.
0: Yeah, that would be too much.
1: Right. And then, uh, you know, the, the copies are going to resolve uh, before uh, the original, the OG storm spell resolves. Okay. Yeah. What up?
0: Yeah. What up is surveil. Surveil, um, i was introduced in Guilds of Ravnica and means surveil in. Look at the top n cards of your library, then put any number of them into your graveyard, and the rest on top of your library in any order. Sort so. of like
1: Scry, only Kinda, graveyardy. Yeah. Yep.
0: If an effect lets you look at extra cards while surveilling, those cards are included in the surveil set. Yep. Add one in there.
1: Yep. there's a there's a there's only one card called Enhanced Surveillance that basically says. When surveilling, you can look at two extra cards. So, -er without this... surveil Yeah, so... (laughs) so est (laughs) So, without this particular rule, realistically what would happen is if you went and surveilled one, and then this said, like, hey, you can look at two extra cards. I'm surveilling one, I just get to look at two extra cards, but I don't get to do anything with them. I can just look.
0: Just remind you what you put in your deck. Yeah, Yes,
1: but so this rule is like no 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 no. I mean, we mean you get to up the surveil set by 2.
0: Um, you can surveil with an empty library and cards that trigger cool. off when you surveil will still trigger even if you have an empty library. That's kind of cool. That's kind of neat. Yep.
1: All right. Next up is oh, we're we're in the home stretch. Next up is suspend. So suspend was a an ability that came out on Time Spiral cards and it's three things. All right. Suspend N. Uh, sorry. Suspend N with a cost means if you could begin to cast this card by putting it onto the stack from your hand, you may pay cost and exile it with end time counters. This action doesn't use the stack. All right. So before I get to the other, actually, let's let's do let's do all the abilities and then I'm going to explain what this means in actual plain English. At the beginning of your upkeep, if this card is suspended, remove a time counter from it. Okay, and suspended just means in exile with time counters on it. And then, when the last time counter is removed from this card, if it is exiled, play it without paying its mana cost, if able. If you can't, it remains in exile. If you cast a creature spell this way, it gains haste until you lose control of the spell or the or the permanent it becomes. All right, let me... Well he that's a lot of words. So let me get comfortable here and explain what that means. So let's say I have a creature. Hmm what's a fun creature with suspend?
0: I would just use Riftbolt. Oh creature, I don't okay. know. I
1: will u- I will use the creature of Riftbolt. No, I'm gonna <laughs> use I'm gonna use Greater Gargadon. Alright. It's got it says suspend ten for red. It's a nine seven creature. Okay, so what that means in English is if I could cast Greater Gargadon, okay, it's a creature, it's a creature spell, which means I have to follow the, the timing rules for casting a creature. If I could cast a creature, I may instead pay the one red, exile Greater Gargadon with its 10 time counters on it. This action doesn't use the stack, which means you can't respond to it. So after I've revealed the Greater Gargadon and paid the red, put in exile, the, the the opponent can't say, like, oh wait in response. No. So it's a special action like playing the land. It still has to follow the same timing rules. That way, and I think the reason for that is so I can't do cheesy things like suspend a sorcery at the end of your turn, and then on my turn, I immediately get to take a counter off it. So that's what that's what it says. It says if you could begin to cast this card by putting it onto the stack from your hand. You may pay cost. All right. Now, there is this fancy thing you can do with Quicken, I think, that means, like, you know, that lets you cast your next spell as though it had flash. I'm not actually looking at the card, so that might not be what it says. But that kind of gives you the ability to cast your next sorcery spell at at instant speed, so you could, in that particular case, suspend uh, a sorcery at instant speed.
0: So there there are very specific niche things that'll let you kind of work around that, but generally not going to happen.
1: Yep. Yep. A few other things while determining if you could begin to cast a card with suspend, take into consideration any effects that would prohibit you from casting the spell. So if for example you had Cody the Vociferous Codex Cody. which says yep, which says you can't play permanent spells, I can't start to cast Greater Gargadon, so I can't suspend him. That's that's no bueno. A card is suspended if it's in the exile zone has suspend, and has a time counter on it, okay? Me- meaning you can't just cheat time counters onto a card in exile somehow <laughs> and say like, oh, yeah, 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 it's got time counters on it, so now it's got suspend.
0: Like, aren't we all suspended in a way? Like, no, just the suspend one is. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Now, here's another interesting question that I've I've brought up on the podcast before, but it's also been like a hot eternity, so I'll ask it again. Or I'll just point it out. If a card is suspended, it doesn't matter how it got suspended. The owner is the one who's removing the counters and casting it. So I'm going to talk about the card Apocrysite, Okay, which looks like it was, re- it was in Future Sight, Commander, it was in Modern Masters. So Apocrysite says, when Apocrysite dies, so it's just a 1-1. One, one, When it dies, exile it with three time counters on it, and it gains Suspend. So if you have Apocrisite, Sama, and Mm -hmm. I gain control of it, and then Apocrisite dies, I'm the one that controls the trigger that tells me to exile it with three time counters on it, and it gains Suspend. So I'm the one, I'm the one that exiled it, and I'm the one that gave it Suspend. But because in Exile, we don't have controllers, we only have owners... You're the one that's removing the time counters, and you're the one that's going to be able to cast it when the last counter comes off.
0: Oh, it's very kind of you to do.
1: Well, I mean, I did steal your creature, so I kind of feel like it's the least I could do, right?
0: <laughs> the least you could do.
1: I mean, it's the least, the the very, very least I could do. Oh, and speaking of the least I could do, what's the next one mechanic we want to talk Truly the absolute
0: least in the sense that I didn't realize this was a keyword, I thought it was just a term magic players used,
1: is tribal. It's, so it's not a keyword, it's a type. Oh, that's true. It's a card that type. That is true. Like instant sorcery.
0: Yeah, I had never seen this before, but what was the card you just pulled up to
1: show me? Oh, uh, Temple of the Goyf? Yeah, yeah, so that's coming out, and it's it's tribal. Or is it is it Temple of the Goyf? Ultra? Yeah. Uh, Ultra of the it it actually uh uh Temple of the Goyf has a hot new single called Hunger Strike. It's Altar of the Goyf. Oh, okay. So you you didn't get my Hunger Hunger.
0: Oh. No, sorry, I was reading ahead. What?
1: Is I'm old. There is a band made up of uh parts of Soundgarden and parts of Pearl Jam. They had a band called Temple of the Dog <laughs> and they of the had a song called Hunger Strike.
0: You're very clever.
1: Yes. Good job. Which well, I, I mean, I when I I actually legit f- forgot the name and said Temple of Goyf, but when I did, it was anyway.
0: Comboing off on your own humor. It's one. not
1: funny now that I have to explain <laughs> it.
0: A lot of things need to be explained to me, don't feel bad. But so what is so tell me what is interesting about tribal as a type.
1: Yeah, Subtype. not a lot. Not a lot. So it's just basically a type that allows non creature spells to have Creature subtypes so you can say, you know, search your library for a goblin card and find a tribal instant goblin trap or whatever.
0: Activated my trap goblin.
1: <laughs> so, yeah, that's 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 basically all it does is that they they did it in Lorwyn block. They did it a little bit in Rise of the Eldrazi and then occasionally they'll do throwbacks like Tempt Shrunk. Alter, altar of the Goyf?
0: We know words. So they're, yeah, so tribal, they're bringing it back around town. Here it is again. <laughs> All
1: right. Do you want it, since that was so uh, uh, underwhelming, do you want to do the next one?
0: Yes, I would like to be whelmed. Let's do type okay. walk, which right. first showed up in Alpha, again, the OG. So land walk is a generic term for type walk, where type can be a subtype, type, or supertype. Creatures with type walk can't be blocked as long as defending player controls at least
1: one one of the types right. of lands.
0: <laughs> it just cuts off
1: there. It does just at cut least. off mid-sentence.
0: dun-dun-dun, on the next episode of Judge yeah. Cast.
1: <laughs> yes. Uh, if I have a creature that has legendary land walk and you have a legendary land, like Urborg, Tomb of Yawgmoth, I can attack you, and you cannot block my creature because you have a legendary land, and I have legendary landwalk. Funny, the first planeswalker <laughs> was printed in Legends.
0: What what?
1: Yeah. What? Yeah. The first planes planeswalker was 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 in was printed in Legends.
0: I thought the first planeswalkers were in like Lorwyn.
1: No, 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 no. no. That's that's planeswalker. Oh, oh.
0: I'm being dumb. Okay, yes, planeswalk. Oh my god. It's too late for this.
1: <laughs> it was uh Righteous Avengers. It was a 3-1 for 4 and a white with Planeswalk.
0: Righteous indeed.
1: All right. So and we then finally the final... made it. Yes. Okay, so the last one is going to be Unearth. Unearth came out first in Shards of Alara. So Unearth is an ability on creatures. That is written as Unearth cost. Uh and that means, pay the cost, return this card from your graveyard to the battlefield, it gains haste, exile it at the beginning of the next end step. If it would leave the battlefield, exile it. instead of putting it anywhere else, activate only as a sorcery. It's basically flashback for creatures. Okay, so you pay the unearth cost. Now, that is unlike um, the other, one of those other abilities where I said that returning the creature or getting the creature out of your graveyard was part of paying the cost. This is not. So you pay the cost. The ability goes on the stack. The opponent can do something to remove the creature card from the graveyard. Right. If it if they don't, it comes back in. It gains haste and then probably attacks. Probably because that's what you wanted to do. Um, and then you're going to exile at the beginning of the next end step. If it would leave the battlefield prior to that point, like if it dies in combat, you're supposed to exile it, and put it instead of putting it anywhere else. Now, if something already is going to exile it, like you have a blink effect, well, then you're just going to do the blink effect. Okay? You blink it, it resets it. You don't have to exile it at the beginning of the next instep because it's a different object. So, there you go.
0: That has come up surprisingly often in this set.
1: Yeah. It's pretty cool. It is, it is. That was one of the things that when I was learning these rules that was kind of hard to get my head around was the fact that if it would leave the battlefield and exile it instead of putting it anywhere else meant if an effect was already exiling it, then that one was the one that you used. Right. Yeah. So, all right. So that is the modern horizon mechanics that have come out to date. I'm sure there's going to be a few more. That was like close to 30 of them.
0: That's a whole bunch of... There are a bunch more just interesting things going on with this set that we haven't even touched yet, but will. Um,
1: Like like trample over planeswalkers. (laughs)
0: That is something, isn't it? How this is supported (laughs) by the rules, I don't think we know yet, but I'm sure it will be,
1: obviously. I'm I'm excited to see the tap dancing that's going to be for that one.
0: I can't wait to find out. So, yeah, so next time I think we're going to be doing the Modern Horizons 2 release Electric notes boogaloo. right and i i think you had said that we don't typically do release notes for supplementary sets but we are this time
1: yeah i i went back and looked that we did when modern horizons 1 came out we did a release notes episode but like when the commander sets and commander legends and and all that stuff happened we we typically didn't normally because the the release also corresponded with uh, another large set and since we only record every 2 weeks and with wizards new product release schedule, we... We,
0: we would do nothing else. Almost, yeah.
1: Yeah, we'd do nothing else. We'd have to and do one every
0: weekend. and we would still do nothing else.
1: That's kind of why we've avoided it, but Modern Horizon, this this set looks just so chocked full of nonsense. So we did this episode to cover the generic abilities so that when it came time to talk about Altar of the Goyf, we don't have to.
0: You can go in already than, prepared.
1: Yep. Other than saying uh, he doesn't mind stealing bread from the mouths of decadence.
0: There he goes again.
1: Yeah, we're going to, we're going to, I'm going to, I'm going to learn you, I'm going to learn you some Temple of the Dog after this episode's over.
0: You're going to send me a, a cassette tape?
1: Yes. No, actually, I'll just send you a Spotify link because this is 2021. All right.
0: All right, friends. I did the, uh, the outro the last couple of times, so I think it's your turn.
1: Oh, it's my turn? Okay, totally unprepared. Thanks for joining us as we went over all of these wonderful abilities. Until next time, you can send us an email at judgecast at gmail.com. Find us on Facebook at JudgeCast. Join us on Twitter at The JudgeCast. Actually, there is no the no, no. in it. It's just JudgeCast. Uh, I think we have an Instagram and perhaps a Snapchat we do that
0: eventually we're gonna yep. have all this I've, i'm telling you eventually we're gonna have all the social media platforms and i will do a little bit on each of them so that <laughs> get a little a little something wherever you go eventually eventually we're gonna have all of them
1: all right and uh until next time i'm brian prillman and i keep it fair
0: i'm samantha har and i keep it fun This is very 90s.
1: It is, isn't it?
0: Not in a bad way. That was kind of nice.